The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows is brought to you by the StarQuest Podcast Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of the Expanse, where we will discuss the deeper layers and meaning of this TV series based on the best-selling book series by James S.A. Corey. Joining me today on the panel are Steve Nelson. Hi, Steve. Hi, how are you doing tonight? Good, good. Thanks, Steve. Uh, And Father Michael Gossett. Hi, Father Michael. How's it going? Good, great. So, Father Michael, you're you're new uh, with us here on SQPN, and uh, this is your first first podcast with us. So, I was hoping uh, you just kind of introduce yourself for, uh, just in, in thirty seconds to the listeners uh, who you are, you know, and, and a little bit about you. Sure thing. I'm uh, I'm a Catholic priest from Steubenville, Ohio, the diocese of Steubenville, and right now I serve as a parish priest, a high school chaplain, and a vocation director. So, I keep myself busy <laughs> and big fan of lots of sci-fi stuff. Excellent. Well, you're in the right place then, because uh, SQPN is the place for sci-fi mm-hmm. for Catholics anyway. Uh, so The Expanse um, is, like I said, both a great TV show and a book series. Um, right now in the books, they have, let's see, seven books published, an eighth one coming out in December. And I think they said the last one is going to be the ninth one out in 2018. So that's the the book series. And then there's a TV show where kind of like with some other uh, TV shows that have been converted from books, uh, like notably Game of Thrones, uh, each season is based on one of the books loosely. I I know that some of it overlaps. Um, So and then we have so we have um, season one is sort of based on the first book, Leviathan Wakes, season two, Caliban's War, season three, Abaddon's Gate. And that's about that's where we are right now. We we're up between seasons one to three. And uh, before I go any further, I just want to you know warn listeners if 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 you are if you haven't watched seasons one to three, we're going to be talking about everything. So we're going to spoil stuff. So if you don't want to be spoiled, you know, pause it here, watch it. Uh, pretty sure most of it's on streaming already. Uh, at least the first couple seasons um, are streaming on uh, Netflix. The the third season may not be yet, but you can still download it in places. Um, you know, uh, uh, I think I think iTunes you can buy it. Uh, I think there might be other places as well, Hulu. Um, but go and watch that before if you don't want to be spoiled by anything. So that's standard warning. So have have both of you read any of the books, uh, Father Michael? Have you read any of the books? I've read almost all the ones that are out. I think I'm too short of, of where they're currently at with all the books. Oh, okay. And and Steve, have you read uh, the books at all? I have not read the books. No, my first exposure was when the TV series came out. Good. Th- actually, that's a good thing. I, you know, I mean, although I recommend the books, that'll give us some interesting perspective uh, from someone who's watching the show, who's read the books versus someone who's just enjoying the show as it is. Uh, there's also a whole bunch of short stories and novellas they did, which are interesting just because the world that they've created is so rich. Um, so uh, let's talk about the the setting, uh, the, you know, the basic setting. It's 200 years in the future, um, which, you know, when you think about it, that's the distance in time from uh, the Revolutionary War to now. So it's a it's a pretty big span of time. Uh, lots can change and a lot has changed. Um, it's not a world in which we have already discovered faster than light travel, although as the seasons go on, we start to get a hint that maybe that maybe we will. You know, you know that might be in the future, uh, some type of faster than light travel. Um, but they have this um, what they call a uh, Einstein drive, which allows the, the 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 ships to travel faster than a little faster than normal but still a subject to the the laws of physics, you know, gravity and G forces and that sort of stuff. Um, I, I really feel like that's one thing that sets this series apart from other sci-fi is that they really take seriously 
do a, a fairly good job. It's not completely consistent all the time of this is when they're weightless and this is when they're under under G force. I mean, it, it, do you, do you guys have a sense of that on on the show? But Father Honest, Michael, yeah, honestly, that's uh, it's one of my favorite parts of the show, and I feel like it came through well from the books. But just that, like that, space travel's painful. Uh, and it can kill you. And uh, yeah. just that they're always thinking about the time and the G forces. It makes it like it's just so real. And I've I've never read a series this long or read a series this uh, elaborate when it comes to that. Just like it feels like you're really there, and they capture that the how hard it is to travel in space really well. Right. Yeah. It takes months to to get from say Earth to the asteroid belt or or, or and beyond. Uh, and they really. Although they, I have noticed, especially more recently, they do cut some corners with the time span. They compress some time span. You know, like things do get places faster than they really should. Uh, missiles and things like that. But uh, but for the most part, was, what do you think, Steve? Uh, uh, just exposed to the TV show. You know, I thought I think they do a pretty good job of keeping the the viewer in the environment. Um, you know, they I know that especially with their uh, gravity boots, their magnetic boots and things mm -hmm. like that. They always kind of br bring the viewer into what's happening, you know, where they turn them on and they put their foot down and they're, they're on the deck and things like that. I did notice a couple of times where they did some things that didn't seem like they were quite right, but I right. couldn't really put my finger on what it was. You know, yeah. I was like, that, that seemed a little off, but um it, you know, that's to be expected. I mean, <laughs> well, and it, especially at, I mean, I'm going to jump right to the end of the third season. And as they were in this um, zone beyond this alien gate, this, this, this interdimensional space of some sort um, where the laws of physics didn't really apply that they, you know, they entered the slow zone and it like, it stopped ships short, which meant the, everything, the ships and everything in them had inertia. And it had mm -hmm. devastating consequences for the people aboard, um, and and they showed that you know that you know, to, to uh, less, greater and lesser degrees of of yucky goriness, <laughs> uh, but uh, they, they 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 it had consequences, and I, I do appreciate that. I mean, I love Star Wars, I love Star Trek, but really the the space stuff is is so um, fantastic that you have to come up with magical science to explain it all whereas this they pretty clearly stick to the science well pretty closely anyway um so that's this that was the one the first thing I, uh, that really came to me well the other thing is is they they've created this really complex well i call it geopolitics in my notes but of course it's beyond it's astropolitics <laughs> of of the of of the solar system instead of nation states at war you know china versus the u.s versus russia it's sort of um a cold war between the earth and mars and the belt and each of these cultures is pretty distinctive i think they've, they've done a good job especially the belters uh you know, what, what do you think uh, uh father michael what you know of the of these the different cultures and, and how they've portrayed them does it come across pretty clearly I think the the word you use distinct is just exactly it that uh each one has like such a good particular flavor and and the way they think about each other really has a powerful flavor that people see the the earthers as entitled and lazy that they have this beautiful thing that they take for granted and that they're this big power uh the Martians and kind of tied into like the nave Mars are seems sort of militaristic and they have this strong uh united front uh, they're going to terraform mars they're going to make this a new earth uh and the belters is just this sort of uh i don't even know how you describe them they're they're just the idea that they're humans who have uh become to accustomed to live in space and their bodies change and their language has changed and uh i think that's the belters to me are the most uh memorable part especially in the show that they invented that whole language uh in the show and it elaborated from the books uh, where the belts are Creole to kind of make yeah. them there have their distinct language. That's a combination of a lot of existing languages. And I think that's really powerful that you see all these people from earth went out and their cultures got kind of mixed up into this new thing. 
they kind of reminded me of uh, like uh, mining communities in California in the 1840s. You know, they were these people that were brought together to do one thing, mine, and they sort of built that that created their the structure of their community and everything about them. And it, that's what brought them together and held them together. And it was really unique. And the language is really fascinating. It, it's it's actually it wouldn't surprise me if the if the authors because I should point out James S A Corey is a pseudonym for two guys who who wrote the books together um, who are also executive producers on the TV show so uh, but it it wouldn't surprise me if they sort of based some of the Belters on those Forty Niners uh, you know the California gold miners out there but the other thing that that the Belters sort of remind me of is um, Kind of like Palestinians or 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 today like Syrian refugees. There's sort of this downtrodden nation of people kind of thrown together by uh, a a common um, sort of poverty in compare. Like they're 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 often being used as a as a as a group by Earth or Mars, the inners as they call them, the wealthy parts of the solar system of humanity. Uh, sort of uses belters to mine the belt and to and to do all that sort of stuff, um, and and they really comes across in their attitudes toward one another. You see that their attitudes toward the inners. I thought that was very interesting. Um, they they really seemed like they were seeking their place in that in that group of three. You know, right? Uh, getting trying to get respect and on equal footing with the with Mars and Earth. Right. They see themselves as they should have a place at the table equal to Earth and Mars, whereas Earth and Mars just sees the two of them and just the, the belt is sort of something they divide among themselves. Uh, so you have that, that that's part of the essential conflict of the show. Um, and their uh, their situation, it like breathes the sort of like the radicalism you see with the OPA, the Outer Planets Alliance that uh, uh their poverty and kind of their pre the oppression they experience, it leads some of them to really, and, and especially as the books go on, strike out in incredibly violent ways. Um, but you see where they're coming from, that uh, uh, they, especially like from a Christian standpoint, they react in terrible ways, right. um, but they're just being used. And I th it makes me think about kind of just in our world today, if you're uh, all the technology we use uh, and like where the materials come from, uh, that could be hurting somebody. And the same thing goes in the expanse that uh, the people suffer because Earth and Mars need all the materials that come from the belt. Right. That's one of the things I've seen uh, news stories about. They talk about, like, say, our smartphones and all of the exotic um, rare Earth materials that are required to make a, a smartphone uh, come from, in most cases, third world nations. And, and there have been exposés of the awful conditions for the people who have to mine these things, who will never, they don't even know what we use them for. <laughs> We're so separated from the conditions and the and the, the life of these people, and they're so separated from us. Uh, that's sort of, I think, the idea of what they're pulling out there. It also sort of reminds me of, this kind of betrays my age, of the PLO, <laughs> the Palestinian Liberation Organization, which was, in, or Sinn Féin, which was the, the Irish... Um, uh, political party in Northern Ireland against the British uh, occupation, th that um, you have both a political organization that's semi-public and respectable, but then you also have parts of it that are, well, they might, they call themselves freedom fighters and other people call them terrorists, you know, that, that sort of thing. One man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. Uh, and, and, but it's, so it's complex, you know, it's not just, the OPA, the Outer Planets Alliance, is not just one thing. You know, belters aren't just, you know, you can't just put them all in one bucket. Um, and I really, you know, again, that's part of the comp the interesting complexity of this show uh, that they portray. Um, so one of, the, so, and that's, so that's sort of the environment we enter into in this. Then there's the, the MacGuffin, the, you know, the, Here's the, the the match that kind of lights the the, the story fire uh, in this, which is pr the proto molecule, and what has happened. And and I don't know if the show explains this as much as the books do. Um, it's a, maybe I should ask Steve. Steve, do you feel like the show explained 
the origin of the protomolecules uh, well or sufficiently? Not in a way that I can really pin it down, no. Okay. So, because the, the book, obviously, books, they have the time and space to do it, sort of explains it as uh, some this alien race um, millions of years ago would send out these probes, just like we sent out, you know, the Voyager probes, uh, that have this molecule on it. And if they, when they reach a particular solar system with a particular set of uh, circumstances, uh, it, you know, with the particular conditions, it the protomolecule has the ability to transform anything it touches uh, into something it can use to into its sort of organic technology, alien technology. And we eventually figure out that what it's supposed to do is, is to transform the, uh, the land on a planet and transform what it finds there into. Uh, a stargate that connects to this gate network that these aliens have created throughout the universe or galaxy. I'm, I don't think they're actually quite sure how far it can go. That's sort of how we get to that at the end, end of the third season. Uh, we we They figure this out. Um, but until then, you know, humans have discovered this amazing technology, this alien technology. And so do we, what do we do with it? How can we turn it into a weapon or make money from it? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and that becomes the essential the conflict here um, is we have um, dastardly corporate overlords trying to make a profit. And we have politicians uh, and warlords uh, trying to turn it into a weapon. Um, and it, 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 it sort of becomes this tug of war between people. If I have the, the protomolecule, the belters will be will have uh, um, respect, which kind of reminds me of nuclear weapons in a sense. Uh -huh. So it's sort of the nuclear uh -huh. weapon of this thing. So it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting uh, say element <laughs> introduced <laughs> into the story to kind of stir up the pot and, and, and get it going. Um, but one of the things that, that comes up is, is that they use the protomolecule in, in certain ways. So in the first season, uh, the, they they introduce the protomolecule into a the 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 um, asteroid colony of Eros. I was I, I always mix up series and Eros. Eros, which has like you know tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. I forget exactly how big it is, but lots of people, which kills all these people. You know, it it in horrible ways. It converts them into this into this alien stuff. Um. And we see this over and over again that they they use the the proto molecule. So I kind of want to just talk about you know, is it based on what we see in the show? Do you think it's possible to use the proto molecule in a moral way in the show, or should the proto molecule every in all its variations just be destroyed? What do you what do you think would be the moral uh, case, the moral action to take here? Um, I'll, I'll throw it to you, Father, since you're you you are our moral expert on this panel. <laughs> uh, I hope so. <laughs> um, I think I'd have to side with uh, James Holden, who who can be kind of annoying sometimes, uh, but he wants to get rid of it at all costs. And uh, the fact that it ends up with the big Stargate at the end is almost almost by accident uh, in the show. I think just you look at the ways that it was used and. Uh, the, the Mal Corporation experimenting on people, like you said, on Eros, and then as the story goes on, on children mm. uh, to make them into these living weapons, um, they don't know what they're dealing with. And uh, he kind of has this mindset of like, if this puts humanity further out into the universe, that's all that matters. Uh, and it leads him to, uh, he's, they try to make him kind of sympathetic in the show, but he's still says, okay, experiment on these kids, um, even when he meets them face-to-face. -face. Um, it makes me think of C.S. Lewis, uh, the Space Trilogy, and that's the philosophy. One of the main villains in it is that whatever it takes, humanity needs to survive. It needs to go out into the stars, uh, no matter what lines you have to cross. And that's like that's how Mal's living. And, and all, just seeing the scientists who treat uh, either all those people on Eros or the kids as just lab rats. Uh, so it's just an incredibly dangerous thing that they've decided we're going to conquer this. We're going to we're going to use it and know how to use it. 
into even the belters or 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 the the inner you know other people in the inner planets they want to get a hold of it just because um if they have it i need to have it like sort mm-hmm. of a we need a, a balance of power uh you know mutual destruction sort of thing you need to, i mean so this sort of has bearing on on our own time and you know real world um this idea of the balance of power and mutually assured destruction the the church is often you know popes and bishops have often said that's it's not a really moral uh use of weapon you know of weaponry of the weapons of war you know it's not really self defense if you're if you, to to create weapons of mutually assured destruction but does do they have a choice do you think i mean what, what like you do, who who has the choice? You ask well, if the belters have the choice. Oh, yeah, and it, like, do if 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 you're the head of a of a nation, uh, whether the Mars or Russia, uh, and another nation has this weapon, do you right. have an obligation to get it too? Well, I was drawing parallels when I was watching this to the early days of the Cold War, when the United States had nuclear weapons and Soviet Union was developing developing in them. Uh, ostensibly for their protection because they didn't trust the United States. And it was that's it's this I see it as kind of there's a parallel there where you can't trust the other people to use it for good reason for good uh purposes. Therefore we need to have it so we can counter what they're doing. So and there's nothing moral about that, but it's it's fear is basically what it is. Fear and self protection. Right. And and the fact is is the people at least in the show prove themselves they they prove that that the the case by being you know uh untrustworthy using it in bad ways i mean it, it sort of justifies unfortunately well the technology is beyond their ability to understand what what it should be used for or how to use it or how not to use it yeah it 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 feels like and they're they're using an analogy not just for nuclear weapons but for any technology where we kind of say you know a t- technology that's too advanced for us or um, whether it's nuclear weapons or cloning or mm-hmm. AI or whatever it is that we, you know, we're always in danger of inventing a technology that gets out of hand and that we, we can't control. I mean, so much of sci-fi is about that. Hello, Terminator series. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a, a lot of sci-fi is about this idea of developing a technology that we can't control or finding something that we can't control that gets out of hand when we try to control it. So, I wish uh, I wish I could quote the church document, but uh, it, it, it talks about just that our more our morality or our moral ability hasn't grown with our technical ability. And, yes, and something like this is just ratcheted up a hundred times that uh, we don't know how to use it morally. Maybe if they were perfect, sinless people, they could figure something out, and and it would be beneficial to mankind. But uh, like you said, Steve, it, it's based on fear and. All the people that that preach in the show or the books about well, we have to have it to be safe. They that they then go use it uh, to figure out a way to dominate the others. Right, and and there's there's a lot of backroom dealing that goes on in this show uh, between various parties and double dealing and backstabbing, uh, which is uh, always interesting. Um, and and that's a, that's part of it too. Is like they ha- you have this alien technology. And they're trying to harness it, but it's but it's overwhelming. It's like it's it's almost you know massive hubris on the part of the of the humans to kind of think, well, you know, we're going to use. It's almost like I'm trying to think of um, an amoeba finding a a a a pistol and wanting to use it to dominate the other amoeba. You know, (laughs) it's like (laughs) it's like. This is a, a an incredibly complex technology that can transform matter, and 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 bend time and space, and we're trying to use it to kind of like poke at each other. That's what I thought was interesting is that this technology that they're all trying to manipulate has its own agenda, mm-hmm. and right. they don't realize that until later. And it's like, oh, <laughs> we're not, we're not in control of this. Right. It's almost like it's if it was like if, if a nuclear weapon became was self-aware and had it mm-hmm. had its own agenda. And that's, again, another aspect of the show that I find fascinating. Um, and it, again, in the books, you know, again, they have the span of, of many books to kind of pull these out. The TV show, because of the limitations of the format, has to do this in so much less time <laughs> than the mm-hmm. books have. 
And yet they, I, I feel like they're, they're pretty successful at taking this complex story and conveying it. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, uh, it, it, do you agree? I mean, it, did you feel like they're, that the, 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 the complexity and the uh, immense, the expanse of the story uh, is gets gets its due in the TV format in the TV show. I feel like the books you get a lot of character development and sort of uh, you get in their heads a little bit more um, and and see what they're thinking and feeling. Especially the books are each chapter is based from one character's viewpoint, so you really get to know, like you said, dozens of characters over the span of the books. And it's, the TV show can't do that, but it. I think the the actors that play them portray them so well and bring out all the little ticks and personality quirks um, that they they capture so much of what is spelled out over pages and pages of books. Uh, it's. I I feel like uh, those are the faces I picture when I read the books now. Yeah, and I don't think that's a bad thing. <laughs> right. I, I just remember sometime in the second season, I started to get lost about what was really going on. Mm. And it took me a while to get back on track again. And then the third season was just awesome. I loved it. Um, but the second season was like, I, I've lost it. I don't really know what's happening here. And I had to go back and watch a couple episodes and things. And I still wasn't quite sure I knew what was happening. <laughs> yeah, I I I. I I have to admit, I'm someone who's who has watched Game of Thrones, and despite its issues, um, and I haven't read the books. And it's interesting to be in that position. So, the, so I'm essentially in that same position where you are, Steve, where I, I'm watching it without having read the books, and sometimes I feel a little lost. I mean, that's another one of those shows where a million characters and there's plot lines everywhere, and in a book they can kind of you follow right along. Um, and so as I have watched it, I haven't gotten lost in it because I've I've got the, the, the bigger thread of it. Uh, so it's it's interesting to, to see that that perspective. And maybe, you know, and some of it comes down to are the writers and producers doing doing a, a, a better or lesser job, you know, uh, at this particular point. And I feel like by the third in the third season, they really are doing a better job uh, at it. They really nailed it down because i thought it would be really hard to do to pull off the third season to be honest uh and they and they did and it was uh i i i, I think they did a good job uh you know father you, you mentioned that the actors are doing you know are, are doing a good job of portraying their characters um you know who who are originally in the book so i kind of want to veer in that direction at this point and talk a little bit about the the characters that we encounter um so the 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 we, the protagonist of the story, the the star of the story, has to be James Holden. And as I read the book, he was a much older character in the book. I'd say he was the actor who's portraying him is probably in his late twenties, maybe. Um, and the guy I you know reading the book, I I I don't think they ever come out and say it, but I felt like he was the way they portrayed him, the way he he's sort of world weary, late thirties at, at at the youngest, maybe in his forties. So how does that work for you? How does it work for you, the, the James Holden father, since you've seen you've done it both, of the book versus the James Holden of the TV series? Well, uh, like I said, I, I think the face of the actor now is kind of, he's whatever imaginary uh, portrait of James Holden from the books I had might have kind of been wiped away. I, I think I agree with what you say, that he comes across as, pretty young to be so jaded in, in the TV show right. uh, that he, how long has it been since he ran off from his, his family on earth. Um, but I, I, I think the thing they do capture is the sort of, maybe it's a little self-righteous. He just, he wants to do the right thing and he's going to force everybody to do the right thing. Um, and sometimes that's great. And sometimes it's, uh, it's him being kind of impulsive. Uh, and maybe that's uh, more of a young man's trait too, but he, just thrown out. We're going to tell everybody the truth. And we're going to broadcast this stuff uh, and and almost cause a war. He's never out to cause problems, but he he he's so he's bent on justice, and that that's an incredible gift for him. And sometimes it really hurts him uh, when it when it blinds him to the people that are around him. Yeah, Steve, you know, with 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 Holden, he is um, you know, he's politically naive. <laughs> I mean, at best, I mean, he he drives some of the politicians crazy with his with his stuff. Um, 
But he is an idealist in many ways, as cynical as he can be in world where as he can be sometimes. He's sort of an idealist and and pretty moral. Mm-hmm. It felt like. I mean, what what do you think of that that those two sides of him? That he's a realist and a moralist. Well, that he, well, he's that he's sort of cynical. He's he's uh-huh. he's got this strong moral streak. But he's also kind of politically naive and that sometimes he he makes, you know, public announcements that that, you know, others would say that's probably not the best thing to do at the moment. It's sort of truth at all costs. Uh, well, you know, they, they found themselves kind of thrust into this limelight without really intending it. And, you know, I think he was doing the best he could. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you know, he didn't want to be in that position, but he that's where he found himself. And I think he was just doing what he thought was best. I mean, he's sort of an unusual person, you know, in, in any situation, sort of one of these things where um, difficult times, uh, certain kinds of heroes seem to rise up. I, 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 I always go back to like, say George Washington was a unique man of his time. Uh, without George Washington, the whole revolution would have collapsed. We needed that particular guy not only to lead the revolution but to be our first president. You know that that sort of thing, and and I think in this, Holden is that same sort of person that the the times demanded a man like James Holden to to kind of be there to stand up and to and to be at the crux of it. He always seems to be in the middle of everything, <laughs> whatever's <laughs> happening. Uh, so and a little of that's convenient to the story, but but it's it's. Still, he he always seems to he doesn't always make the right decision, but it always seems to turn out right, at least in the end. And as you were talking, I was thinking about the other people on his crew and they they're all very different, but they all seem to have their own sort of code of conduct. Yeah, that they that they live by. And it's all they're all very different and they're all, you know, a little bit unpredictable, but they all seem to have a code that they follow. Right. And like so, Naomi, who's his love interest, and she's a belter. So Holden is an Earther. Naomi's a belter, and she has quite a lot of allegiance to the belt. Uh, and, and which at one point pulls her away from Holden, um, and they go their separate ways. Um, and there's uh, Amos, who's a very attached to uh, to Naomi. Now, Amos, I think for me is like my second favorite character in the in the stories. Because of how interesting he is, because he is a profoundly at once amoral character, <laughs> and yet he has a code uh-huh. that he follows. He and to follow that, he will do whatever he thinks is is the right thing to do, including visiting extreme violence on people uh, or walking away from someone in need if he doesn't. If he doesn't, if it's it's almost like he's. Um, well, it's almost like he's. Uh, I'm not. I'm never quite sure whether it's sociopathic or psychopathic, but he has something profoundly broken in him when it comes to morality. Um, and yet, if someone gains his trust, he will he will go to his death to protect them or do or do good with for them. Um, I, I, I find I find so I find Amos a, a fascinating character. I don't mm-hmm. know, um, if you guys have any opinions on Amos. He doesn't dwell on decisions. He uh-huh. just makes right. a decision and goes with it with no qualms about it. <laughs> right, right, exactly. For him, a life is is fairly simple and straightforward. Um, and I think you know, as 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 you look at him, he I think he kind of looks at other people and wonders why they make things so complicated. I kind of get that sense from mm-hmm. the character. Um, He's loyal to a fault. Um, like you said, once he gains your trust, you gain his trust, you're in and you're in for good. And he relies on people like Holden and Naomi to kind of be his moral compass that uh, he's a man, like you said, of violence and he's lived a hard life. Uh, but uh, and he and he's happy, maybe not happy, but very willing to use that violence. But he but he kind of trusts those those guys, the rest of his crew to point him in the right direction. And I just love. And it comes up again and again with Amos that he's protecting the weak and whether it's like a child or uh, later on, like Prax, when he gets into the story, um, just that whole that he, he he knows he's 
a violent man and he's done terrible things, but he'll use it for the people that he loves. Uh, and, he, and, and in that way, he's constantly loyal. Right, right. Uh, by the way, Prax in the TV show is less annoying than Prax uh, of the books. Uh, Absolutely. So pra- Prax is a is a, a botanist whose daughter is one of the the children taken by the Protogen Corporation to experiment on, and he's constantly see- looking for. And so, sometimes he co- it's it's like do you remember uh, Michael in Lost, who spent <laughs> like three seasons running around yelling Walt Walt. Yeah. That was like, pretty much everything he did, and that's kind of how Prax came across a little bit in <laughs> in the book, a little less so in the. Uh, in the TV show. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> excuse me. So my um, other characters from the ship, uh, from the, the Rosinante include um, Alex. And uh, Alex, I feel like is an overlooked character, but he's an interesting character. And, and, and it, it kind of highlights something. It seems Alex Kamal, and he highlights another aspect of the world that they've created, which is that when people emigrated out from earth, uh, by and large, most of the emigration didn't come from the wealthy parts, the Europe or um, <clears throat> most of Europe, anyway, excuse me, or um, United States, but came from countries where, you know, you, it, you, were, you had better opportunities if you went out, you know, from from these countries. And so um, Mars was pot, was colonized mainly by people from Texas and uh, people from the Indian subcontinent, whether it's Pakistan or uh, Burma, I don't know. Well, Burma counts, but um, in, but India. <coughs> Excuse me, frog in my throat. Um, and and so you have this interesting blend uh, among the Martians of this this sort of ethnicity of uh, Indian subcontinent and Texas. Uh, and so they have a lot of like uh, te- Texas drawl and Texas Texan sort of uh, uh, slang. And and yet they they all you know his name is Kamal. I mean you have a lot of these people who are from the, the in eth, a different ethnicity. So I find that a sort of fascinating uh, d- uh, world building. Um, but Alex is is a is a Martian um, who uh, uh, formerly of the Martian Navy who also left in under a cloud. A lot of the, the all these characters sort of have come from little shady background a little bit and. Um, uh, but he's sort of he's the pilot, and and I think I don't think he gets as developed as much as the rest of the crew. Um, they do a little bit, uh, but even in the books, he's not super developed. Um, but uh, my favorite, I think my favorite character in both the books and in the TV show is Christian Avasarala, who is um, Under Secretary of the United Nations. So the United Nations is the world government uh, for Earth. Um, the general secretary kind of is the, is like the president and she's the undersecretary, but she sort of runs everything. Everybody kind of acknowledges that really she's the power behind the throne. And she's in, especially in the book, she's kind of, she's cranky. She, she's this uh-huh. old lady who swears a lot and, and, and she's really kind of cranky all the time. Uh, a little less so in the, in the TV show, but uh, as portrayed by, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher her name. Uh, Shora Agdashlu who you you recognize her you've seen her in a lot of stuff i just i just love this character it's she's such a breath of fresh air whenever she's on the on the screen and she kind of antagonizes people great and uh so i i don't know what you guys you know, how you guys think about that but i really uh enjoy her character oh yeah wholeheartedly agree i love the the contrast she dresses so elegantly and has such an important job which just tears people apart <laughs> she, she gets the job done and and it is in so many ways like utterly selfless. Like she just wants to to take care of things, maintain peace, um, as harsh as she can be. And I, her interactions with people like Amos, uh, at different at least in the books, uh, there's a lot of that. And especially with Bobby, uh, who comes into the show uh, as her kind of a, a Martian connection to her, that uh, she just doesn't pull any punches. She calls them on the crap and uh, calls them to. <laughs> calls them to do what needs to be done. Steve, do you have a favorite character that, uh, that, uh, of the, uh, from the show, uh, someone who you stand, uh, I really enjoy that character. Um, well, I've really liked the interaction between Holden and Naomi. Yeah. I think that they, 
they complement each other well when it comes to the issues they're trying to dis- to decide and what you know the courses to take and everything. And I think they make a really good combination of characters. Yeah, they they do uh, that because their relationship is not without its bumps, without its problems, um, but it's not like over dramatized. It's not a soap opera. Uh, I do I do like yeah. that. And mm-hmm. right up there at the top, though, I have to put Bobby too because when she's in the role of a Martian Marine, yes, it's awesome. <laughs> I, I, I was I was hoping you said because I agree. I, Bobby kicks butt. She is really great. A Marine Force Recon, uh, and you believe it. In the books, they kind of make her. She's she's supposed to be bigger even than she is on the show. Like she's supposed to be physically dominating over others. She's um, like I think a Pacific Islander. So Pacific Islanders tend to have. Uh, you know, like the rock, you know, they tend to be bigger. Uh, and she, the, the actress they have uh, playing her Frankie Adams is not quite that, that size, but she really, I think she carries herself with, uh, with authority. And uh, I do, I do enjoy Bo- uh, the character of Bobby. She shows no fear. Yes, <laughs> mm-hmm. exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she has a pretty straight moral compass. I have to say, you know, she, there's, there's, there's right and wrong and she's, you know, even so, even when Mars is wrong, she acknowledges it. You know, she's not she, her moral compass overrides her patriotism in that sense. Uh, I kind of like that about her. Um, one character we haven't talked about is uh, Detective Miller, uh, who, as I mentioned before, the, we were recording. I call him the Schrodinger's cat of the show because he's <laughs> not quite dead, not quite alive. <laughs> um, and so, so he's in the first season. He's a, a detective on uh, Eros who's been sent to find this missing girl uh, who's key to everything, um, key to the proto-molecule, um, and ends up uh, falling in love with this girl he's looking for. This, it's a very interesting sort of private eye story, even though he's a, he's a policeman, but sort of a, it sort of feels like a, 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 a film noir, uh, you know, private private eye story a, a little bit. And he's sort of classic in the way he, he, he acts, almost like a throwback. Um, and then he dies uh at the end of the first season where he's on eros when it i think it's, that's the first season right i can i can never remember where it, where it, yeah, it flies into it flies into no, venus maybe that's the second one I think. maybe that's yeah. the second season eros crashes into uh venus and uh and he dies we think but then he keeps showing up uh as a vision that only uh holden can see so holden thinks he's either going crazy or other people think he's going crazy um and he's a sort. He's he's um, being used by the proto molecule to communicate with uh, Holden, but he's still, in some ways, himself. And it's an interesting question: is is that really Joe Miller? Is it a simulacrum, like a computer simulacrum? Um, you know, from a from a Catholic perspective, I have to say, like, it's if it's not his body and it's not his, but maybe is it his, is it his soul you know that's it's a very interesting dilemma is is that really him or is it not or is it just a, a computer copy of an ai version of his personality with all of his memories um it's 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 one of those science fiction conundrums that come up in things like star trek where they murder people every time they use the transporter <laughs> 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 it's not transporting people it's killing them and creating copies um uh, that's that's another show we can do yeah. uh oh you you can we're, we're uh, on the secrets of star trek we'll talk about that one time whether transporters <laughs> are killing people uh, so uh so a- any thoughts on detective miller uh just that, that 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 sort of relationship that question um I, w- I was definitely a big fan I, in college i took a, a detective literature class and as soon as I started reading his chapters, I was like, my gosh, this is right out of books like that. Of He wears the hat and he kind of talks in a, uh, a dated way and then falls in love with the with the girl that he's looking for. Um, it, it, it took me out of the story a little bit of, of the big sci-fi story. Yeah. Um, but he's such a great character. And, and kind of going off what you the question you brought up, at least in the books, uh, they really play up the the proto molecule using him almost like a computer program. Like because in life he was somebody who found things. Now uh, in death, his copy or whatever it is is the thing that gets sent out to find something. And and it's kind of just 
he's a he's a channel for them to to figure out a problem whatever whoever they are or whatever is going on but i i just he's another like moral character that he came from kind of a shady background and uh decides uh he's going to give his life even for this girl that he only really meets after she's dead uh right that uh and sort of absorbs into to the proto molecule but uh i i think he's just a great foil for holden because uh he's not idealistic and uh he he's willing to do some some uh more questionable things in his pursuit of the truth but in the end he is after the truth yeah yeah definitely yeah that's a good point about how he uh he is that a little bit of that foil for holden in in that uh so um I want to switch to to another element of the show that is is prominent, which is that there is religion in this uh, world of the expanse and the the solar system of the expanse. Uh, not Catholicism so far that I have been able to notice, uh, but uh, we see both Mormonism, Mormon, is it Mormon Mormonism. That's I'm trying to, the right adjective, uh, and uh, this Methodist minister uh, uh, Anna. Uh, so the Mormons c- show up sort of in an ancillary fashion uh, with this giant generation ship. It's the largest thing ever constructed by human beings. It's, uh, it being it's being built uh, at the Titan ship, the Tycho station around um, Titan, uh, the moon of Jupiter or Saturn. I think so. Jupiter, Jupiter, I think. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, I I think I know that, but I gotta I gotta you know I, I always second guess myself. Anyway, <laughs> doesn't really matter. Uh, they're, they're building this giant ship for the Mormons because they're sending uh families, whole communities, this whole society of Mormons out into space to go to the closest uh habitable star system, which at the speed of the Einstein drive that they've that they have. Uh, will take generations. You know, the, the it will be you know hundreds of years before they get there. Um, which, by the way, uh, by the end of the third season, with the gates opening up, as as we know, renders that whole mission moot. Um, and it, but what happens is that the uh, the Belters commandeer the 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 ship, the Nauvoo, uh, and turn it into uh, their first and only <laughs> um, warship, uh, which they call the Behemoth. And uh, and then it becomes uh, in, the, in season four. I, I, I don't want to spoil season four for those who haven't read the books. But in season four, it, it it's still in that um, the, that null space of the gate. Uh, but uh, so it continues to play a role in the in the stories. But um, but it's Mormons who are going out, and it, I don't know a lot about Mormonism. But what, like, what do you think about this? What is it that's think is particular to Mormonism that will, um, you know, draw them to this sort of mission, Father? Or in, or is it not particular to them, but maybe Catholics would do the same thing? I did. Uh, I, I researched a little because I, I suspected uh, in the history of Mormonism, they did. They made that great journey to, uh, to what became Utah. And that's why uh, Salt Lake City and everything Mormonism. Right. <laughs> is kind of based out of there. And so I thought it was a, it's an interesting kind of a, a religious deep cut for the, the writers of the books and the show to, uh, to, to go with that, that uh, the Mormons who, who sort of fled persecution and conflict in the United States out into the wilderness uh, that now 200 years or more later, they're going to do that same thing and go off and start uh, kind of this new world. And I, I just keep thinking of the scene I think it's Miller is traveling to Eros uh, and there's a, he sits with like a Mormon minister or something on the ship and they just have that kind of conversation about faith and like, well, God will take care of us as we go out there. And uh, yeah, it's just an interesting callback. Uh, I just, it makes me wonder the, the writers of the books, what their religious backgrounds are that they would, that they would pick that particular religious element to bring out uh, in the future. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I, I should have uh, dug into their background and see if if, if maybe one of them is Mormon. Um, I know that uh, the the sci-fi writer um, Orson Scott Card, ah, oh, that came too mm. quick. Orson Scott Card is Mormon, and that actually has played an element his that in his worldview has played an element in the, some of the the books he's written. Um, he he wrote uh, 
uh, oh, uh, Ender's Game mm-hmm. and some other things. And and it's an element. It, if you if you didn't know he was Mormon, it wouldn't it would you it wouldn't you know make a difference. But um, it, when you know that he's Mormon, then you understand. <laughs> you know a little bit about Mormonism, then you understand why that played a role in in the books. And I think that might be the case here. Uh, that it did the and so the other religious character which we see a lot more of um and we in fact in the tv series is introduced much sooner than in the book and and has a bigger role uh, initially is this um anna volovodov 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 um your which, guess is good as mine <laughs> yeah i should know it. my my grandfather was russian i should i should be able to uh-huh. say these these names uh but the um for some reason, I I kept thinking that in the book she was Orthodox, Russian Orthodox. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was looking online in Wikipedia, and it and it was saying that she's Methodist. In the series, the TV series, she's Methodist. I know that that they've, they've changed it to be Methodist, or they've said that she's Methodist. Uh, so now I'm second guessing whether I misread the book or someone messed up Wikipedia, <laughs> which mm-hmm. which would not be unheard of. Um, but anyway, she's a they introduce her as a, a former confidant of the UN Secretary General. She used to write uh, his speeches when he was a young politician, and they have a, a so they uh, they they left under bad circumstances. I I think used one of her speeches to do something uh, politically immoral, you know, something that her, that offended her sense of right and wrong, at least, and. Um, but he calls her back in when they have this crisis uh, with the protomolecule and with Mars to kind of help him uh, uh, write, you know, speeches and his public image. Um, she helps expose the the uh, the guy who's with within the secretary general's office who's manipulating him uh, for his own purposes to cause a war. Um, and then in the, the in the season three. Her role changes to what it was in the book, which is to travel as his sort of a, as one of his emissaries uh, out to this new uh, gate, uh, Stargate, the protomolecule gate, um, you know, as part of the, the 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 mission to go out and examine it. So they send scientists, but they also send uh, f- philosophers and artists. And, re- and it's kind of interesting that they would do that. Uh, just just that idea that they would send uh, religious leaders and philosophers and artists and uh, apparently they sent uh, a Kardashian of so- sort of uh, <laughs> a woman. Uh, yeah. But uh, as well as the scientists and the military, of course, out to examine this alien gate, um, which in one way kind of tells it, it says to me that they're a little more advanced than we are, more forward looking than we are, because I don't I don't. If that happened today, I don't. I don't see our government sending philosophers and poets and religious leaders to go examine an alien artifact. Uh, you know, somewhere on Earth, they would send military and scientists, and that's about it. Um, so what do you think of that? I mean, would if they if they were asking for volunteers, would you raise your hand, Father Michael? <laughs> I would be. Te- I would be tempted. I think. Uh, 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 she's a great character in the show. Uh, I think she really stood out to me in the show. That actress, Elizabeth Mitchell, yeah. is in a lot of really good stuff. I loved her in Lost, yep. and uh, Revolution was an interesting show she oh, yeah. was on. Yep. But uh, so she does, she plays that really well as a sympathetic uh, sort of character. But yeah, it shows this sort of like interesting inclusivity of the future that uh, even though they have space travel and all this stuff, where we, especially in science fiction. You think about sort of the Star Trek mode that religions, it's we've evolved past that. Right. Uh, but it seems to have a prominent place, and she seems to have a, a prominent place in the world. But I think especially in her character that she ha- she kind of walks these halls of power, but she really cares for people. And uh, especially in the, on the ship in the, the third season, she's always like taking care of people and looking for people. Who, when people are suffering, she reaches out to them. Uh, and her faith kind of carries through this. I mean, it's crazy. The like you said, the incredible accident when their their ship suddenly slows down and every lots of people get seriously injured. Um, in the show, she reaches out to uh, Clarissa Mal, who's 
trying to sabotage everything. Mm -hmm. Um, She cares for people. And it really, it presents like a really beautiful, like Christian witness uh, that she's taken her faith into this bizarre alien situation. And even under like the worst circumstances, she's really interested in uh, bringing charity and, and just maintaining good things. Yeah. And, and and the way she practices her faith is not um it it's not very uh in your face um, mm-hmm. they from my point of view if i you know uh, they could be more explicit about the christian content which it's no surprise that it that the surprise is that it's there at all frankly yeah. in in hollywood but um so but that said like there was a there was a, a a a small subplot in season three where she was on this ship and this one officer committed suicide, um, and she really like she dove into like she knew her role. Her role was to console, to console the other crew members, to to really get you know people who are con- focusing on other stuff to really say no 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 we need to stop and to memorialize this person and help people deal with what with this loss that they've suffered in this what happened with this guy um and it's and because i think if i remember correctly he he killed himself because it's it's sort of um representative of how some some people would deal with the world-changing reality of alien life and alien he, he couldn't deal with the the this this world what the world had become um and so she 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 is this incredibly sympathetic character who wants to uh care for everyone and i i i'm i'm happy that they have a character like that in this it's not all it's not all ideal I, idealistic heroes and uh warriors and but you have a a person like this and, and i'm i'm happy to see that yeah me too uh, steve do you have any thoughts on you know on the on these whether it's the Mormon, uh, uh, the, the the little bit of Mormonism that's in it uh, with the Nauvoo, um, or the the Anna, the Methodist minister, um, who you know who that gets introduced in in these two seasons that we've seen her. Um, well, I mean, I think you mentioned it there at the end that um, the typical sci-fi tends to overlook those kind of those aspects. And to, to have this, I, mean, I don't want to call it a holdover from previous Earth culture, but that it still has meaning, and but it also shows the uh, human side to things that you kind of miss sometimes, uh, that aspect of it. And it's in a lot of science fiction where it's all about the science. Right. Yes. And that's the nice thing is, uh, like, as I was saying before, like in, in they send these people out to the gate uh, who are f- poets and philosophers and religious leaders and, and whatnot. It's not just a scientific uh, moment, so um, so I think that's uh, unless unless you guys have more. Actually, I mean, the only thing to mention is is um, we didn't really talk too much about the the grand mystery of who, like the gate builders, the the creators of the proto molecule themselves are are missing. Um, and I think I think we've actually lost Steve, who we lost a couple of times. Uh, so uh, we'll 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 we we all finish without him because uh, we just got a couple minutes left. But um, the the there's this mystery of the the lost gate builders, um, and maybe it, in this sort of revealed at the very end that somebody killed the people who are capable of building these gates, uh, and and whether that's going to come to play that hasn't been we haven't even seen that in the books yet where you know wh- whether that's gonna uh, be a factor in the story so there's, there's that uh, to look forward to uh and speaking of looking forward uh the show itself was originally aired the first three seasons have aired on uh sci-fi and sci-fi canceled it and um i i seem to think it wasn't because of ratings but that the producers had certain conditions for um, distribution rights that they were insisting on uh, because the show is pretty successful and there's a lot of money to be made. I mm-hmm. think that's what, and so sci-fi canceled it and the fans went nuts. Um, 
you know, begging Netflix and Amazon and others to pick it up. Uh, they even flew a banner over like Amazon's headquarters. Please save the no, expanse, really? Jeff Bezos. <laughs> uh, like it was like a, they did a crowdfunding. And then uh, Jeff Bezos was at some space conference because he's a big he's big into like, you know, he owns a, a Blue Origin. It's called it's Blue one Origin, of these yeah. private space companies, because um, if you're a billionaire these days, that's what you do. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> excuse me, he was at this conference. And announced that Amazon was picking it up, the the show, which and to great applause. And Jeff Bezos is now everybody's hero, uh, which is <laughs> which is good for Jeff. Um, so that we've got a, a fourth season to look forward to. Um, what? So a, one one last little personal anecdote. As I was reading, um, I think it's the fourth book, Cibola Burn. Now I'd have to uh, look. Um, it's. Yes, I think it's Cibola Bird. A character gets introduced um, by the name, I think it's Murphy, uh, but but I, don't hold me to that. He, um, he, he and, and as I'm reading the book, I'm thinking, this is Clancy Brown. Like, you know, the actor, um, oh. Clancy Brown. If, if, if you haven't seen him, go, go look him up on IMDb. As soon as you see his picture, you'll, you'll recognize him. He's been in everything. He was in Highlander as the, you know, in, in other other things since then and uh mm. so i tweeted basically that uh if the producers of the expanse when they get to that season if they don't hire clancy brown i'm gonna be really oh, upset okay. and then oh, they tw- okay. they tweeted back at me hey um what are you his his agent <laughs> and i said no but really with the way you wrote this character it's, it's clancy brown so <laughs> if clancy brown plays that character in the in that season you can thank me Wow, that's fantastic! Yeah. <laughs> so, just a little personal anecdote. So, nice. um, so uh, I'm sorry that that we uh, lost Steve. I think he's trying to get, join us back again, just in time for us to to wrap things up. Um, but uh, unless you have anything uh, left, uh, Steve, uh, welcome back. I was just telling folks that uh, your your computer keep, keeps dropping you. Um, but I, w- I just wanted to kind of uh, we, I just mentioned that uh, the sci-fi is it's switching from sci-fi to Amazon and uh, and how I'm going to be responsible for Clancy Brown being cast as a, one of the characters in uh, the <laughs> I think it's the fifth or sixth season. Uh, so, you can, so you can thank me. It, it will, uh, I'll tell you about that later. Um, but is there anything left that I have that we haven't really covered that we should that mention here in, in the in this last minute or two? Um I, I encourage people to read the books if they haven't. Uh, I, like I said, I've never read a sci-fi series with this many <laughs> books in it. Yeah. Um, and they're not hard to read. And uh, every once in a while, I'll get bored, and then I'll come back to it like, oh, yeah, this is really great. So it's it's a nice element if you enjoy this show. Yeah. I just I just picked up the first three on uh, as a in a box set on Amazon. It was pretty inexpensive. So I'm looking forward to actually diving into the books. Oh, good, good. Yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, I'll try to find a link to that box set, put it in the show notes for folks if they wanna if they wanna uh, do that. And uh, if you buy it through the link, you'll help support SQPN and our our mission with a, a couple of the pennies that Amazon will throw our way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I encourage you to do that. Uh, so I guess that's it from us. Uh, so I want to encourage the listeners. What did you think of these first three seasons of The Expanse and what we had to say about it? What did we miss? What did we get wrong? We want to hear from you. Uh, let us know visit, by visiting sqpn.com slash secrets and then find this uh, the, the, uh, the, the link for this show there. Uh, leave us a comment there or go to the SQPN Facebook page. Leave us some feedback there. Or you can send us an email to secrets at sqpn.com. And, uh, you know, if you give us some feedback, we might discuss it on a future episode of the Secrets in Movies and TV. Uh, you can find links to the to our personal uh, websites or our, our, uh, anything we've, you know, the, the books that we're going to put on there on our show notes on sqpn.com. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast feed to ensure you receive all the future installments of the secrets of movies and TV shows uh, coming up. We're going to do the secrets of Coco, the, the Disney uh, Pixar uh, animated movie. That's we're going to be doing that uh, coming up next week. And uh, that don't, don't miss that. That's sure to be a good one. Um, and we've got others that we've done recently. I, and I, I really am. I, I want to continue on. Uh, we did secrets of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I played on doing secrets of uh, Indiana Jones and uh, the, the, Temple of Dooms, Last Crusade. 
Um, but I'm not doing Crystal Skull. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> if they come out, when, when Indiana Jones 5 comes out, we'll do that. Uh, but uh, we're going to stop at uh, Last Crusade. Uh, so, so please subscribe to the podcast feed. Share it with other people if you can, please. And really, one big thing that really helps is if you go to iTunes and you leave a, a review, give us five stars and leave us a, a written review, that actually uh, triggers the algorithms in Apple's iTunes computers to, uh, to to show our podcast to more people, grows the audience, and helps SQPN continue to grow and to bring these shows to you. We have other shows that we want to encourage you to check out. Secrets of Doctor Who, Secrets of Star Trek, uh, Let's Talk, um, The Pilgrim Life. Uh, we have a lot of great uh, shows that were, and we've got more on the way. So I encourage you to check it out. Um, so until next time, uh, Father Gossett, thank you for sharing in the Secrets of the Expanse. Thank you for letting me talk about a great show. And Steve Nelson, thank you as well. Despite any technical difficulties, thank you for joining us. Uh, You're welcome. Glad to be here. And once again, I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows.